0: This is part number four and part three uh, we talked about receiving kingdom authority to use in praying kingdom prayer and today we will be discussing uh, the how to exercise the power of God through exercised kingdom authority how does that work how how does that happen what's God's principles behind that what has he said to us about how this happens? So if you'd permit me, uh, we're going to start with the most basic of basics. Basic something basic doesn't mean simple and unimportant because God is the foundation of everything. He is the ba- he's basic and the basis of everything. He's the foundation of all things. The I am God is before all things and by him all things consist. And so when there was nothing else, there was God, and he was the and is, the I am God. But the I am God, as John said First John 4:19, is a God of love. God is a God of love. God is love. He doesn't have love, He is love. But when there was only God, the I am, there was no way for God to express that love. Loving himself did not fulfill his love. It didn't satisfy him. And so because of his love, by love, for love, he decided that he would create a universe. And the focal point of that universe would be a being that would be be created in the image that God chose for himself uh, to represent himself And that being would be given a power that no other part of his creation would be given, and that's the power of free choice. Because without free choice, it can't be love, because love is a decision. It's not an emotion. First and foremost, love is a decision. And so therefore, if he was going to love somebody, he had to love somebody that had the power to choose to receive that love or not. And if he was going to be loved by something or somebody, he had, to be, he had to create a being that was able to choose to love God over other choices in existence. And so uh, here's, here's what had to come about. The I am God, which, who is not in any way affected by what we call time or space, because when there was just the I am, there was no time and no space. And so he couldn't cease to be the I am uh, God and create directly. So God himself expressed himself and that expression of the I am God we called Logos. Now we translate it word, W-O-R-D, but uh, as I've used this one of my little favorite sayings concerning Logos, uh, call it. Calling Logos word is like calling a balsa wood toy glider airplane a 747. Yes, it's word, but it is everything that God is in time and space because Logos, Logos is the only part of the I am that can be, uh, that can relate to time and space. And Logos is the part of God that allows the I am God to interface with time and space. It is physically, literally impossible for the I am to be a part of time and space directly because time and space is limiting and the I am is unlimited in every possible concept of limitation. He is unlimited. But he, uh, he, he expressed himself in, in, in a plan, in a purpose, in the wisdom of God, in, in, in the knowledge of God, and the power, and the ability, and the authority of God, and everything that all of God that could be expressed into time and space is all included in Logos. And because, because if the I Am had created directly, created without first expressing Himself as Logos, time and space, he would have limited himself, and that would, he would have ceased to have been the I Am. So, he created everything by Logos. Now, let me give you some scripture for this. The very first thing that God ever did was he became the Word, the Logos. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now notice, in the beginning. And we're not talking about before the beginning, that's the I Am. But through Logos, the I Am was able to bring about a beginning. In the beginning. Let's go back to the, Bi- the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about, it's not written about God's dimension. He's the I Am. It's written about man's dimension. Genesis 1.1 begins, in the beginning. Well, we're not talking about, <laughs> it, it, it's, not, it's not written about specifically what was before for what and who was before the beginning uh it's the one that was before the beginning it the bible tells about how, what he did what his plan is what his motives are who he is what his character is etc cetera etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. Genesis, or excuse me revelation 21 22 or 22 21 it 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 ends with man before we go into eternity or it ends with man going into eternity so the Bible is really written about how God brought about man in the beginning and what he did, what, uh, what his plans were, man, what man did, and how he brought about finding those out of men who would love him by choice and receive his love by choice, which there, which therefore completes God. Now I'm not trying to be oversimplified here, a bit, but this is so critical. Because we don't, we don't get this. We don't understand this. And so we, we're always, we, we, we're always praying to a smaller God than the one who's really there. And therefore, we see our problems from the perspective of this limited God, not the I am. And we see what's going on in the world from the perspective of this limited God that we conceive of rather than from the perspective of the I am. He's got a plan. And the same Logos that brought everything into existence is go, is ruling over all of this. And this is going to bring everything to pass according to his perfect will. It is impossible for man not to end up at the, in, in the end of this where the, where the will of God prevails in the sphere of men. Impossible for it not to. Because the I am, he's outside of all this. All of this abides in him. Every bit of this is in him. It's impossible for this to go against him in the end. So in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Oh boy, there we come up with two. It's not two. It's not two. What we have is the I am, the self-existent one, who's unlimited by anything. interacting with that which can be limited time and space. When Jesus said to the Jews before Abraham was, I am. And that blew their minds. But what he was really saying is the logos that was made flesh and the spirit that anoints this logos is the, the expression in this existence of the I am, who was before all of this. All this was his idea. So in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word. The logos was with God, and the logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, by the logos. And without him was not anything made that was made. He, the Logos, was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 14, And the word, the Logos, was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness him, cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, before he is before me. And of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. For the law came by Moses. The well, law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came, came into existence, is what the Greek word there is, uh, came into existence by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, the Logos, is the only one that has ever been able to relate to the I Am. Because he proceeds from the I Am, he is the I Am in time and space. All of the I am that could be uh, interjected in time and space is the Logos. John 16, 28. Jesus said, I came forth from the Father and am coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Not two different people talking here. The Son was the Logos made flesh for the purpose of being our sacrifice. John 17, 5. Jesus is praying here. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What was, what? was What's that talking about? The Logos, before there was anything else, was the expression of the Father. What glory did the Logos have? It was all of the I am possible expressed in that which could bring into existence That which is limited by time and space. Then John summed it up like this. First time one. one. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. They see, that sounds like two to, to people. No, it's the I am and the only part of the I am that can be expressed in the time and space The Logos, and the Logos was made flesh. And that flesh being coming into, uh, that Logos being made flesh in the womb of a woman, he received the name Son. Therefore, the I am became the Father. Ephesians 3 verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 12, or verse 15, who, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. He's the only visible part of God. That can be a part of time and space. Who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. For by him all thi- were all things created. That are in heaven. That are in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones. Or dominions. Or principalities. Or powers. All things were created by him. And for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body. The church. Whoa this one is our head and we're his body? He is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Boy, that's some, it'd take a long time to teach all of that. It's awesome, awesome stuff. But basically, it comes down to this. All of that summarizes this. The I am expressed himself as Logos. And that Logos is the only part of God that we will ever be able to have direct communication with. Because he's infinite and we are not. He is beyond time and space and we are not. So our source of communication or our means of communication with the Logos or the I am is the Logos. And he is our Savior made flesh. Logos made flesh. He is our head. We are his body. <laughs> Jesus brilliantly summarized all of this so very simply in John 10:30. I and my Father are one. Are they identically the same? <laughs> oh, God, help us. It is impossible. For there to be a we are. If you have a being that is self-existent and fills all space, there's no room for any other being. So there can't be a we are, there can only be an I am. But the I am has the power to express himself and create an entire existence in him. Everything is in him. But he's able to create this entire existence in him. And then he's able to have a means whereby he is the I am, can interject himself into that creation and have a relationship with everyone in that creation. I'm going somewhere with this. But you got to get this. This is very important. If we're trying to exercise authority, we got to know, first of all, we got to know what that authority is, and understand the great, the exceeding greatness of the power to us who believe in in what we've been entrusted to do. Now, I'm going to try to go a little slow with this, not because you're slow, but because this is a very deep thought, much deeper than my ability to explain. The Logos itself is both the authority and the agency by which God does all things. <laughs> so when you exercise authority, you exercise authority by speaking. What do you speak? You speak word. But. <laughs> With God, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking rhema. But what is rhema? It is quickened logos. And so the very word that I'm speaking, which is quickened logos, we call rhema, that logos, when it's spoken, is released into the atmosphere of creation. And that logos is then able to fulfill everything it was intended to accomplish because it's spoken. Logos, without being spoken, doesn't accomplish anything. I read, Psalms 33 verse 4, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. By the word of the Lord, Where the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Hebrews chapter one, verse two, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, by whom he appointed, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, which he had by himself, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high. Hebrews eleven three, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of. By the word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. Psalms 148 verse 1. I'm going to read quickly. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him all his angels. Praise ye him all his hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise ye Him, all the stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass or fail to come to pass. So here we see the principle. God... Exercised his authority to create by speaking. Again, Hebrews 11.3, 3. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Genesis 1 3 and God said. Genesis 1 9 and God said. Genesis 1 11, and God said. Genesis 1 14 and God said. Genesis 1 20, and God said. Genesis 1:24 and God said. In Genesis one twenty six, And God said. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the fowl of the air. And over the cattle. Over, uh, over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Including serpents. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And said unto, unto them. Be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth. And subdue it. And have dominion. Over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And over every living thing that moves upon the earth. How did God exercise his authority and dominion? By speaking. How was man to exercise his authority and dominion. Over all the earth and subdue it? By force? No. By speaking. Psalms 33 verse 4. For the word of the God, I've already read this, but read it again. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9, for he spake and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. Psalms 148 again, verse 5 and 6, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Jeremiah 10, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, The gods that have not not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. He hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Verse thirteen When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, he maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. When he uttereth his voice. Isaiah forty four twenty four. Thus saith the Lord thy redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the hands, the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Wait, wait, wait. I, I thought there's an I am and a logos. Yeah. But he can't do it alone. He can't do it by myself if they're two different beings. Or two different persons. They're not. The I am created everything through logos. That was that was the means whereby the logos did all of this. Excuse me. The, the I am did all of this. He did it through his logos. Himself. His expression. His word. Now hopefully by this point. The reading of this next verse. You'll begin to get the idea. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life. Are in the power of the tongue. The Lord gave me this. I posted some of this on Facebook. But I want to. I'm going to read this just a little bit. The ability to speak is the most godlike thing that God created humans with the ability to do. No other natural thing created on the earth has the ability to speak but man. Now, angels were given the ability to speak, but angels, though they had the power to choose, did not have the authority to choose, the right to choose, as further demonstrated or proven by the fact that lucifer made one mistake he made one choice that wasn't god's will and he was done forever there was no second chance there was no redemption he might have had the power to choose he didn't have the right to choose but god created man with the ability to choose and man expresses those choices verbally that's why anytime you want to rule over people, you've got to silence their ability to speak, which is what's happening in our, in the United States today and it's already happened in many other places in the world. In Russia, July the 20th, you can't speak anymore in his name. Only in designated church buildings that the state approves of. What are they trying to do? They know that the only way they can subdue is to... Thorpe your ability to speak. <laughs> and what does the body of Christ do? We hide in buildings. We talk in private. We don't even really speak very much in prayer, do we? We ask a lot. We don't speak much. I'm not trying to be critical here. When God works, He speaks. For Him to work through us, we must speak. What his Logos and Rhema have given us to say. Before we can and will say it, we must first receive and believe it is from God and be willing to complete the cycle or the circuit of faith by saying it. Therefore, we speak what the Spirit of God has said to us in the Bible. This is called the spirit of faith, 2 Corinthians 4.13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. This is so critical. Man is never the initiator of what is being spoken. Only God can ever be the initiator. What we speak, we speak what the Lord puts in our hearts and mouths to speak. We cannot make something to be of God. By initiating it and and or being the source of it. So the idea of what's called derogatorily name it and claim it. I just start claiming something. That is so fundamentally contrary to the principle of scripture. I cannot speak anything that I initiate. I cannot claim something that I initiate. I can only speak what God initiated. I can only claim what God has promised. God's the initiator. In fact, the Lord God considers it to be a major breach of His authority for us to speak or claim something in His name that He did not originate. The spirit of faith. I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Well, how do I believe? Romans 10, 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. the Rhema. Rhema which is quickened. It is logos quickened to us by the Spirit. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, Hearing by the rhema of God. And again, rhema is logos that's been quickened to us by God's spirit. He initiates it. So the spirit of faith is, I believe, therefore I've spoken. How do I believe it? I heard him. I heard him say it. I heard it. I heard it. I heard him say it in my spirit. I heard him say it in my spirit. I, I I I walk with God and so I I I've let him work in my life and I've let him teach me how to hear his voice and so I learn over time to have confidence in that. And 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 therefore as I as I try the spirits to make sure that I'm not being deceived by something and I compare whatever it is I'm hearing with the, the logos that I have hidden in my heart, the word that I've studied and read and hidden in my heart. And then whatever comes into my mind that is coming from the, from a spirit, whether it's God's spirit or other spirit, I compare that to logos and I try the spirit. I judge or put the, put that word on the trial. I put the rhema on trial with logos. And if it's of God, it always agrees with logos. Any rhema that contradicts logos can't be rhema because rhema is quickened logos. Directly or indirectly, Logos, that's quickened to me. Everything that God does through man is done by us hearing Rhema and speaking Rhema. And Rhema is spirit-quickened Logos. Spirit-activated Logos. For me, in my time, in my place. Logos is forever settled in heaven. But Rhema is the spirit of God taking the forever settled word and applying it to me, my situation, whatever he's trying to do into and through me. Therefore you can't separate Rhema from Logos. If you do, it's not Rhema, it's deception. Everything that God does through man is done by us hearing rhema and speaking rhema. Galatians 5 verse 2. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? So let me take that and turn that into a statement instead of a question. You received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. Verse 5. He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Again, let me take the question, and turn it into a statement. He that ministereth to you the Spirit, and workers works miracles among you, does it by the hearing of faith. Why? Because that's how God's authority is expressed through us. If I have authority. God speaks to my spirit. And by that authority, I speak the word which releases his power to work according to the word. Do I do anything? No, 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 no. I'm just a conduit. I'm just an earthen vessel. I'm not the treasure. I can't take credit for anything that's done through me. Nothing. Nothing. You know, people are kind and you preach or you pray for them or whatever. And they say, thank you, thank you, that helped me, thank you, thank you. And I used to when I was younger. I didn't do that, God did that, blah, blah. No. What I've learned to do is just simply say, thank you. And I handle all of that between me and Jesus. Lord, that's your glory I give all the credit to you, all the glory to you. It's you that did it. I, did, I was just a conduit, Father. It's all belonged to you. All the glory, all the honor. You did it, I didn't. Now, we're again, we're talking about how to use kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. I, I would call it apostolic authority, except that The apostles and disciples before the day of Pentecost used this authority. And John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of God and Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and he sent the disciples out preaching the kingdom of God and he told them, when you uh, heal the sick, tell people the kingdom of God's come nigh to you. And he said, when I cast out devils by the spirit of God, the kingdom of God's come to you. So therefore... What we would call apostolic authority today pre-existed the church as kingdom authority because God pre-exists all things and it's His authority. The authority that was used by the by the uh, prophets in the Old Testament. That authority was the same authority because it's the same God. But the difference for us is, praise God, is that all of us have been made partakers of the divine nature. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord dwells on people for the purpose of being a prophet, a priest, or a king. But in the New Testament, we're all prophets and priests and kings in that context because the Spirit of God dwells in us. And the Spirit of God abiding in me can do anything through me He chooses to do. Now, yes, yes, it's true that He, he by His own choice, give certain giftings to men to do certain jobs and nobody has all the giftings anybody tells you they've got all the giftings boy they are on some kind of ego trip i have god that's got able to able to do anything through me and if the need arises on any particular basis and there's nobody else available god can do anything through me at any particular time but for me to claim that i can exercise that All of those things, all the time, is so totally unbiblical, it's ridiculous. Because we're all members of the body. And no two members are exactly alike. One arm's different than the other. One leg's different than the other. But here, the hands are different than the feet. That's pretty simple, right? The eyes are different than the ears. So why would God give one individual all ministries and all gifts which violates his whole principle of a body and that we're all members one of another implying that we need one another, that that every member of the body supplies something to the body and for the body and through the body that the other members of the body can't supply. And so we all have a place. That's God's plan. And the folks that want to have all the gifts and want to have all the giftings and Let's see. I'm an apostle, prophet, pastor, priest, and king. I, now I'm the chief apostle. Boy, something going on there, and it's not good. It's really not good. You gotta, you gotta wonder what in the world are they? What spirit are they listening to? Because it's not the Holy Ghost, and they're not getting that stuff out of the Bible. God have mercy on them. So how does how does authority work? One of the most awesome places in the scripture on this is, of course, Matthew chapter 8, verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, the centurion's servant was sick. And the centurion was a good man and had been treating the, the people of God well. And so they beseeched the, the Jesus to heal the man's servant. And the, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll go to your house. Jesus said that to the centurion. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worried that thou should. Should have come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority. He didn't say I'm, I'm a man that has authority, because all power in heaven and earth belongs unto Jesus, and he never gives it up ownership of it to anybody. It's all delegated. I can't claim it as mine. I can't use it for my own purposes and will without being in major trouble with Jesus. Because if I take it, I've just stolen it. That's called usurping. It has to be given. And it's only given God's way. You can't get it your way. Now Satan got it by causing man to sin. So if you get authority some other way than God's way, you've sinned. I'm a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed him, that followed. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In other words, the people of God are supposed to be, they're supposed to know who I am. They're supposed to understand me, my word, and all that. And here's this Gentile that's got more faith because he understands authority. You cannot separate authority and faith and faith and authority. If you do, it's why faith doesn't work. You can pray all you want. But if you separate, you can can pray for the sick all you want. You pray cast out all you want. Let me tell you something. At the very best, you will see a fractionally small part of what God is really willing to do. Because you can't separate faith from authority. Jesus said, speak the word, excuse me, the centurion said, speak the word only. This is the Greek word epo, E-P-O. And it means, according to Strong's, to speak or say by word or writing. And it's translated in the King James by these various words, Answer, bid, bring word, call, command, etc. The centurion declared his faith to Jesus by saying that if Jesus were to speak the word of authority only, right where he was, that the word would have the power when spoken in authority and released by authority to heal the man, the, the, the centurion servant, even though Jesus was not in the immediate presence of the sick man. If that's not kingdom praying, I don't know what it is. And everything we're going to teach on kingdom praying from this point on today, in this lesson, and in the future lessons, is summed up right there. Wherever I am, as the Spirit of God prompts, I pray and speak Logos quickened by the Spirit, which is Rhema. And the Word is sent. And the Word performs what God intends it to do. Whether it's to the person at the other end of my hand, in the back of the auditorium, on the other side of the state, or the other side of the world. God is everywhere. He's not limited by time, space, or numbers. He's unlimited. He, the only thing that limits God is finding people to believe His word and His principles enough to do them. That limits God. Nothing else can. The centurion used the word uh, 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 epo as a synonym of the Greek word lego. Uh, he said Speak the word only to Jesus. And then he said, I say, I've, I'm under authority. And I say to this one, go. And he goes another, come, come, whatever. He just equated them as synonyms. And this Greek word, lego, is frequently used by Jesus in the Gospels to teach us about, <coughs> say unto this mountain, say unto this sycamine tree. We'll get into that a little bit more. According to uh, Thayer's, this word lego is to say, to speak, to affirm, to maintain, to teach, to exhort, to advise, to command, to direct, among other meanings. All of this. The, the context directly connotes that the word lego is used by someone in authority to give orders to, to those under that authority. With the expectation that the words spoken will be obeyed. Huh. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Listen to it. Mark chapter 11 verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. He came if haply Not happily but haply king james english for if by chance he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet and jesus answering and said unto it no man eat fruit on thee hereafter forever and his disciples heard it they heard him say it He, he i don't i'm assuming he didn't scream and holler or whatever he just said I'm hungry. You've got nothing for me to eat. Nobody's ever going to eat anything off this tree ever again. And he went on his way. He didn't stay, stay around and shake and huck and buck and all that. It's all fun to do that, isn't it? Woo! It's wonderful. I'm not mocking it. I like it too. But that's not what produces results. Mark 11, verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus said it, and you couldn't see anything happen. Why? Because Jesus didn't kill it from the tips of its branches down. He killed it where you couldn't see what was going on out. He killed the roots first. It took a while for what was happening to the roots to get out to the branches. And there is our biggest problem. We want to speak the word and see something happen right now. But according to the word, something did happen right now. Daniel prayed. God heard him the first day. What was he doing? He didn't realize his his prayer was dealing with roots in the spirit world. He was dealing with root issues. He didn't know that. God heard him the first day. It took 21 days of prayer for what was happening in the roots to be manifested for Daniel to see. It was two or three days. I don't remember exactly how many between the time Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it was withered before you could see it. This is the fight of faith. This is where we fail. We pray for something and it doesn't happen immediately and we give up. God speaks to us. He's done something and we stop claiming it and thank Him for it believe it. And we keep asking which is unbelief. If, I, if I've asked for something and God said, okay, I'm going to do that. If I ask the next time, I didn't believe He meant it. Or I didn't believe that was Him. Or I can't trust Him. Or I'm not happy that he didn't do it the moment he said it. And all of those negate the works and the effects of the word of faith speaking, spoken with authority. It negates it. So, verse 20, Mark 11, And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree right up from the roots. And Peter, calling a remembered, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away. Now listen to Jesus' response. Here was the whole purpose. He did this to teach them about faith. Jesus answering said it, saith unto them, verse 22, have faith in God. Oh, my beloved brothers and sisters, faith in God is not passive. That's trust. Trust is confidence in God's character. Faith is confidence in what God has said. They are different in trust. I rest in God and, and, and submit to Him and whatever He brings my way. But when He speaks, that's active and I'm supposed to act on that and speak it and keep speaking it because speaking it repeatedly is not the same thing as asking repeatedly. <laughs> the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is our, one of our main offensive weapons is the rama of God. It's the word, it's the logos of God, quickened by the Spirit and spoken. You don't win sword fights with one thrust. So when God gives us a word, like he told Timothy, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.18, by the prophecies that went before on you, make war. What is a prophecy? It's a rhema. It's a promise. It is a revelation to us of what God intends to do for us, to us, through us, whatever. And so I'm supposed to say, take that and confess it at least every day. I'm supposed to confess it. I believe you, Lord. You said it. I believe it. I speak that. But because we speak it, we don't feel anything. and We don't see anything. We give up. Oh, it's not going to happen. Forget, you've forgotten the roots. And the issue that Jesus is teaching here, this is how to have faith in God. You, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When I, when, when what I'm believing for is not happening, faith says it is happening. I just don't see the manifestation of it yet, but it's happening. Verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Lego, Whoever will say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now again, again, one more time here. This is not saying something I initiate. This is saying something the Spirit of God has initiated. I didn't initiate this. God initiated this. But I've got to say what He said. If God speaks to me and I don't speak it, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. When did Mary first believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, when the angel showed up. Now... No she'd been hiding words in her heart, not acting on any of them well, be it unto me according to your word, she told the angel she had a baby. The angel said who that baby was going to be. okay, all oh, that's great. But the first time she demonstrated her personal faith was when they ran out of the wine at the marriage supper, and she brought had bring bring, bring vessels full of water here, and whatever he says do do it that was her faith finally she expressed her faith not what the angel said her faith whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed be thou cast into the sea listen now and shall not doubt in his heart that's not talking about at that moment Oh, let me tell you something right now. (laughs) I can't tell you the number of times the Lord has spoken things through me. And at the moment I said it, I promise you there wasn't the slightest bit of doubt that what I said was from God and that it was going to come to pass. Oh, but the problem is this. What about tomorrow? What about next week? I have a vision that God gave me for Annapolis, Maryland. the last week of August, 1970. In a few days, the 12th of September, it'll be 46 years since my 19-year-old wife rode into town with this 24-year-old preacher because God said, come here. And he gave me a vision when I agreed, finally surrendered to him to come. Well, it's 46 years later. And right now, unless God is going to wave his hand and do a miracle like I've never seen in my lifetime, that vision's not coming to pass today or tomorrow. It's not happening. It's not happening today or tomorrow. Because you doubt? No, 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 no. No. Because what the vision was, uh, if it's got to be built, you don't build that overnight. I got other promises, other promises of God. I got one promise from a vision he gave me 35 years ago in October. A vision of a revival, of a a supernatural victory, and of a harvest that is beyond my ability to describe it. That vision vision is vivid to me today. It's the day I had it the first time, but it's been 35 years. Am I going to doubt my heart now? Oh, no. No, no, no. I've lived my whole life to see these things come to pass. And I'm going to live to receive them. I'm going to live to see them come to pass. I believe it with everything in me. So, not doubting in our hearts has nothing to do with that particular moment. Most people have faith the moment they pray. Most people have faith and no doubt the moment they speak. Holy Ghost is there. They feel that. That's so strong. They speak it out. They pray it. They speak it in prayer. They believe it right then. But do you believe it enough to speak it tomorrow when it doesn't feel quite that strong? Do you believe it in a week? Do you believe it in a month when it hadn't happened yet? Paul said, fight the good, fight of faith. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I run my race. But what about us? Now notice this please. Verse 22, Jesus entering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast of the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have, whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't prayer asking? is it prayer when we ask God to do stuff? Sorry to contradict your theology. But in context... Jesus just equated faith in God with say unto this mountain, not doubting in your heart, and you'll believe what you saith. Therefore, the word therefore is a conjunction, just connected verses 22, 23 with verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what so things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. He just connected, saying what God has initiated you to say with prayer. Disconnected the two. I didn't say disconnected. I said just, he just connected the two. Now, can we ask things in prayer? Yes, we can. But all of those who pray with wisdom, when you're asking something that, God hasn't necessarily initiated, you always pray this caveat, which Jesus did himself. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If you're going to ask God to do something, wisdom, humility says, okay, Lord, I'm asking for this, but if this is not your will, please do not do it. But when you're talking about praying and desiring and believing you and receiving all that, it has to be connected to initiated Rhema, God initiated Rhema that we speak and believe will come to pass. Jesus called that faith, He also called that prayer. Do we? As I said at the end of the last uh, video briefing, Matthew six, Luke eleven, where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Every verb in that prayer is in the tense of command. We're not commanding God; He's commanding from His throne in heaven through us into the earth. He needs us in His plan. I know, well, God doesn't need anything. In His plan, He needs His body to be the conduit for the head in heaven to exercise and speak His word into the earth. That's His plan. But is His body doing that? I'm not trying to be unkind, but hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, or Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, that's wonderful, and I've prayed like that during my lifetime too. But I want to know, how does he respond to that? What does he do? How can he accomplish anything through that? It's easy to pray like that. It doesn't require any faith at all to pray like that. It doesn't require any kind of relationship with God. It doesn't take, it require any kind of a walk with God. It doesn't require any kind of faith to pray like that. Sinners can pray like that. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Risk-free. <laughs> you don't have to worry about being disappointed. You don't have to worry about any attempt to try to have to fight for faith, have faith and fight for it. No, 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 no. Risk free, pressure free, easy on the flesh. Put in our time, fulfill our obligation, going about our business, call ourselves Christians. And we wonder why God's not manifesting the earth. Why sinners don't know where He is. Where's your God? Where's your God? That's what the Bible says they ask. Where's your God? Well, uh, 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 He's here in my heart. Isn't it time for him to be released from that prison? Isn't it time for the head to have a body that's not a quadriplegic because the body listens to the head? That's what the head says. is the conduit for the head to work through, talk through, exercise his authority through. I'm not trying to be unkind. But if you're not, if you're not just a little bit at the least a little bit disturbed over the spiritual condition of the church and the world today. How suppressed we are. How how much the world is pushing us into a closet. Everybody else is coming out of the closet, they want us in a closet. They want our mouths shut. They want our God kept to ourselves. And we cooperate because the price is very high if we don't. Well, oh, they say all kind of bad stuff about us, don't they? <laughs> really, really. Jesus said, "If you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father which is heaven." If I'm hiding from the world because I don't want them to say bad stuff about me, because I'm a believer, God help us. God help us. Jesus, help us. I intended to, to finish this lesson today. There's a lot more here to be said, to be talked about. But I, I just feel in my spirit I, I need to quit here today. I've gone a while. I don't know exactly how long, I, however long the Spirit's wanted to go. That's how long I go. So I'm going to stop and I'll continue as the Lord wills, the rest of this in the next Call to War briefing. Briefing number nine. But, uh, folks, (laughs) I was blessed, you were blessed to be made in the image of God visibly. And then the logos and the spirit of the I am. In the person of Christ dwells in my heart by faith. If Christ is dwelling in me, the only way Christ can live in me is if the Logos is abiding in me, the Word. And if if the anointing, empowering Spirit of the I Am that we call the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is abiding in me, both Word and Spirit abiding in me, that's Christ. Christ is two parts, the anointed one and the anointing one. The Logos made flesh is the anointed one, the one that which is anointed, and the one that's doing the anointing is the Spirit of the Lord. And when you have the anointed one anointed by the anointing one, that's called Christ. And we're a part of Christ because Christ dwells in us and we're a part of his body. And his DNA is supposed to be in us because we're a part of his body. And he is logos made flesh and we are saved by the work of logos and spirit spirit word spirit truth that's what saves us that's how we're saved and we become that which we're saved by i don't mean we become god but we become a part of the body of christ Because Christ dwells in us. Why? It's like building a house you never live in. It's like buying a car you never drive. It's like building the best kitchen in the world. Buying the best appliances there are. Never stocking it with food. Never cooking there. So Christ is the Logos. The I am speaking into the world. And then by that Logos, He created everything. And then He caused that Logos to be made flesh. And then He demonstrated what Logos, anointed by Spirit, could do in all the ministry, the uh, earthly ministry of Jesus. And Jesus says, He that believes on Me, the the works that I do, shall He do also. And greater works than these shall He do. How did Jesus work? He spoke. He spoke, be healed. Come out of her. He spoke. And by speaking, His authority was released and overseen by His, or excuse me, His power was overseen and released by His authority. And that activated the Logos as Rhema for that Rhema to fulfill what it was sent to do. And we are called to do that. We're called to do that. That's what He's called us to do. That's who He's called us to be. Our head already sits on the throne in heaven. That's the revelation Paul prayed for us to have. And we're a part of that body. And He's far above all principality and power and might never every name of His name. In this world. And in the one that's to come. And he's put all things under his feet, which is our feet, because we're his feet. And he is the head over all things to the church. We're not under anything in this world. We're under Christ. He's our head. Yes, we submit to the authority of governments, except when it's commanding us to do what's against the word of God. Because that authority is God's authority. It's not their authority. And unless they're using it unrighteously, I'm supposed to submit to it. So are you. But God has called us to be His body so that He could be glorified or reveal and manifest Himself in the earth. And the way that happens is when the head can speak through the body and the body will have enough faith to speak what we're given to say and to believe that it's going to come to pass because it's God. That's the way God works. It's not by sight. It's not by feeling. It's by the Spirit. That's a little paraphrase. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. It's not by sight. It's not by feeling. But it's by the Spirit. Speaking the Word. Releasing that Word to come to pass. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having an open mind, an open heart, an open spirit to God and to his word. God bless you in Jesus' name.